law, liberty, life, and Jesus, knowing how it all works, I want to talk to you about living life free in Jesus Christ. We have a text that is the reason most uh, pastors don't preach through a book like Galatians. It is, a, it is quite the text we're studying this morning. It's in Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Get a Bible. You really need to follow along. And if you're at home, make sure you have a Bible in front of you. Don't just count on some feeling of inspiration. You need to study this text. What Paul is going to do, just so you know, it relates to what I was sharing at communion time about this list being canceled against us and finding life in Christ Jesus. Only, what Paul's going to do is more complicated in this text. He's going to talk about some Old Testament history. Remember, these Jewish false teachers have come to Galatia, the churches of Galatia, that region, and they're telling these Gentile Christians, fairly new Christians, that they need to come under the Judaic religious rituals of the Old Covenant. This burns Paul up. What he's going to do in today's text, he's going to talk about some surprising Old Testament history. So that's part of the problem, because we don't know our Old Testaments very well. He's going to go through some Old Testament history, and then when he's finished with that in our text, he's going to draw an analogy. So there'll be a, a section of just, here's what happened with Abraham and Isaac, Hagar and Ishmael, here's what happened long ago, and then he's going to close by saying, now here's how that relates to the church. It's, it's comparable, he's going to say, to this. So Old Testament history, then an analogy for New Testament Christians. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at. Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Paul says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, that's these Judaizers, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. He wants to emphasize that. One by a slave, the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. We'll talk about that. These things are being taken figuratively. Okay, now we know what Paul is doing. There's an analogy here. These things are being taken figuratively for the women represent two covenants. Old covenant, new covenant. One is from Mount Sinai, the law, bears children unto slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. That's the Jerusalem in the Middle East. And you need to know that. I'll show you why corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, now he's not talking about the Middle East, he's talking about Revelation, talking about the new Jerusalem coming down, heavenly, the kingdom. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. He's still doing this analogy. For it is written, now he quotes that Old Testament Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman, that's the barren one, 
will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband, a young woman with a husband. You expect to have children, but not the desolate one, Sarah, when she's old, old, old. That's what he's saying there. 28. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's the Galatian believers. He calls them brothers and sisters. Like Isaac, children of promise. But just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit. So also now, these Judaizers, they're coming and they're persecuting you for your faith in Christ, trusting the promise of Christ. You tracking? Gets kind of involved, but you have to follow along. But what does the scripture say? Verse 30, drive out the slave and her son. He's not talking about people, but that ideology, that law keeping, that old covenant legal system. Drive it out. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave. Not Hagar. But the free woman. Sarah. I said, today's text, it's one of the reasons why preachers don't preach through a book like Galatians. We can't imagine, it's hard for us to get our heads around, how shocking and disgusting these words from Paul would have been to these Jewish false teachers who came from Jerusalem to Galatia. Because if there was one thing they took pride in, great pride, it was their descendancy from Abraham. Do you remember how, do you remember how Jesus encountered this same ethnic pride in the Pharisees of his day? Luke 3, 8, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Don't start saying to yourself, look at, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. So these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees Jesus encountered, but these Judaizers coming to Galatia from Jerusalem, they saw their whole identity bound up with their lineage traced back to Abraham. And if you keep that in mind, you'll see why these false teachers, they saw red when Paul unfolded some key Old Testament truths from our text today, because here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to say they're descendants of Abraham, all right. And they're thinking Abraham and Isaac. And Paul's going to say, you're legalism. You're, you're descendants of Abraham, all right, but through Hagar and Ishmael. And they can't stand the thought of that. And then he's going to draw out some specific lessons for the church, like I said. So, buckle up. Here we go. Point number one. Paul's going to give a quick overview of some Old Testament history. Let me just say this. Your Old Testament matters. And you need to be knowing its history to really grow in Jesus. Here's how Paul starts. Galatians 4, 21 to 23. Tell me, 
You who want to be under the law, that's, that's these Judaizers, these false teachers. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. Verse 21 is kind of the important verse, because in it, Paul removes uh, any grounds of being accused of being sort of anti-Semitic. He says he was merely drawing lessons from their Jewish Hebrew Bible. Paul himself was a Jew, and he never denied or rescinded his Jewishness. The problem he saw with these Jewish false teachers was they weren't being loyal to the whole truth of their own scriptures. You who want to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not know the whole story? That's what Paul is saying. This is your Bible. And then Paul reviews some basic history from the Jewish Torah. And his whole argument is going to be built upon the fact that Abraham had two sons. Not just one. In fact, Abraham had eight sons in total, but Paul isn't interested in all those details. His point is simply to establish that Abraham's descendants came along two lines, not just one. He had descendants from Hagar, the slave woman, and Sarah, the wife, the free woman. Now, just in case you've forgotten or never learned these events, let's just look at some of the history, okay? So, A. Abraham and Sarah, her name gets changed, but I'm just going to say Sarah, had received the promise from God that they would be the progenitors of a great nation. Genesis 12.2. But they were discouraged because they couldn't see any way at all that this was possible. It was ridiculous. You get that in Genesis 15. Let's read these. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar, a slave of Damascus. Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took Abraham outside and said, Look at the sky, count the stars if you are able to count them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord, at least this time, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham is willing to settle for Eliezer, his servant, substituting for an actual son. He's willing to do that. And God says, no way. Your heir will be from your own body, your own son. Now, don't, don't miss the important point here. God's plan is to give Abraham a son. Why? Precisely because it was impossible for this to happen without divine provision. 
Abraham's old, Sarah's old. There's no way they're having children. And that's why God wanted to do it that way. God wanted Abraham to be forced to rely totally on trust in divine promise and divine enablement. That's the foundation, okay? That's the foundation for God's greatest saving work that will come. Faith in divine promise plus nothing else. Do you see why Paul's telling the story? He wants these Jewish legalists who are saying, you've got to come back and do the works of the old covenant. He wants them to see, you know what? You don't know your own Bible. Because God, the reason God said, I'm Abraham, no, not your slave. It's going to be through your own body. And the reason God does that is God wants to be clear. When he brings about his greatest delivering work, it's not going to be by keeping any covenant. It's going to be by believing the promise. So, by analogy, there's the foundation laid, portrayed, analogous to Christ's coming delivering work. Okay, B. A little more history. In Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah, still weak in faith, they, they come up with another plan by which... They will use their own physical capacities to produce God's promised heir. It's in 16, 1 and 2, and then I'll just jump down to 15 to save time. Abraham's wife Sarai had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Look at it. So Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son. And Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. So we see, Paul says, Galatians 4.23, that Ishmael was born according to the flesh. He means that he was the product of Abraham and Sarah's own self-reliance. The plan through, through Hagar. So this child's birth, Ishmael, his birth would be the exact opposite. The opposite of trusting God's promise and provision to accomplish his word. Ishmael was the result of Abraham's own plan with Hagar. So Ishmael was not the child of divine promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah. C. Fourteen years later, we read these accounts, and because it's you know chapter after chapter, we think this happened in a minute. Fourteen years later, God comes to Abraham again, his promise of an heir. And again, 14 years later, Abraham still has a hard time believing it. You can see that in Genesis 17, just these four verses. God speaks, I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down, and then he laughed. 
this great man of faith, God gives him a promise, and Abraham goes, can you believe it? 17, Abraham fell face down, then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, again, here's Abraham, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. And again, 14 years later, God says, no, no. Your wife, Sarah, will bear a son. You will call his name Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. Notice again, the same pattern. Abraham still wants God to keep his promise through the line of Ishmael. Human pride, human resourcefulness, human effort and work, it dies hard and it dies slow. And God, in beautiful divine stubbornness, again says, no way. You are going to have your own son through your wife. Sarah, born according to nothing but my promise and my provision. That's how I'm going to work. Paul wants these Judaizers to get this picture again and again. And what's more, God says, you're going to give him the name when I do fulfill my promise and I do enable with my ability for Sarah to have a son, you're going to call his name Isaac, which means laughter, as a constant reminder of how I do the ridiculously impossible, according to nothing but my word. Stay with me. D. Finally, when everything looked hopeless, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Galatians, Genesis, sorry, 21, 1 and 2. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah, 91-year-old Sarah, is pregnant. There's a story. And bore a son to Abraham. He's now over 100 in his old age, at the appointed time, God had told him. Just the way God said, Paul says. Abraham finally sees the lesson. The only acceptable way to God is to trust in God's promise, not self-reliance. Our efforts can never bring salvation, ever. Do you see what Paul is trying to tell the Judaizers? with their own history. Do you see what he's trying to tell them? You can't, you can't do this. Circumcision can't do this. Your dietary regulations can't accomplish this. All right. There's the history. I said history, and then he does this analogy, this application. Point number two. Some timeless lessons for the church from these events in the Jewish Torah. Galatians 4, 24 to 27. You still with me? Okay. These things, all the things that we've just been talking about, 
Abraham, Sarah, the two, the two lines, Ishmael, Isaac, all of it. These things are being taken figuratively. Paul wants to work with them as an analogy. That's what he's saying. For the woman represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children unto slavery. This is Hagar, and Paul's looking at these Jewish false teachers as he says those words. That's them. That's who he's talking about. You got the law. You got your Mount Sinai. He's talking to them. And here's what, and here's what she bears. Look at this. This is what you get. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to the present earthly Jerusalem with all of its Jewish laws and regulations, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, this is the kingdom, is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, not yet, for the children of the desolate woman, that's Sarah, are going to be many, more numerous than those of a woman who has a husband. A. These two women, Hagar and Sarah, and their two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, Paul says they are representing two different approaches to God. That's what you've got. Two different approaches to God. Two covenants, old and new. Hagar, the slave woman, taken by Abraham to produce the son he didn't think God could produce. That's a picture of human effort. Human effort expended to complete what can only be brought about by God's gracious provision. We must never forget this lesson, church. Right from God's initial dealings with Abraham, it was his intention to eliminate self reliant religious efforts to salvation and merit before God. God's coming, saving work would be by promise, by grace alone, through faith alone. Paul says Hagar is just this standing picture, the abiding reminder from the Jewish Torah that the law can never transform the heart, can never bring relationship with God, just as Ishmael was, Born as the result of the flesh, 4.23. So, so all religious law-keeping, in the very same way, will always be weakened through the flesh, Romans 8.3. Human pride, self-reliance, dismantle any hope of mere religion saving anyone. Good religions, with a lot of moral instruction and teaching. If you leave out the gospel, here's what they produce. Slaves. Slaves. Okay, B. More application. Analogy. Religion, apart from divine enablement through the Spirit, can only produce slavery and bondage. This, this, this was Paul's conclusion as he traced this pattern of human works, human effort, merit, through... Hagar to Ishmael, to Mount Sinai, through to Jerusalem. He mentions all those things. He sees this continuous thread, this system, taken all by itself that would keep people from looking to Jesus Christ and God's promised grace and mercy in him. 
That's what he sees in these Jewish false teachers. Look at how strongly he puts it in verses 24 and 25. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. Why, why does this matter so much? Here's why. One is from Mount Sinai, bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is, there it is again, in slavery with her children. That's the followers. Notice those words, bears children unto slavery. And if you forget everything else that I say this morning, we live in a world full of religions. And here's what Paul would say, and here's what the church is starting to let go of and mustn't let go of. The fruit of any religion, however good it might appear, without Christ and the gospel, the fruit is slavery, bondage, separation from God. You're not supposed to say that anymore. You're supposed to say all religions are sincerely held and climbing up the same mountain to God, and Paul would have none of it. He would have none of it. The New Testament has none of it. Jesus has none of it. Children born unto slavery. That's the fruit of religion without Christ. And I just want to ask, is that, is that where you are here watching? Is that where you are? trying over and over to reform your life, right where you are, trying over and over, feeling the condemnation of repeated failure. It's not working. I can't be who I want to be. I don't have peace with God. Your religion can't get you there. It produces slavery. Now think back to my remarks about how shocking Paul's words would have been to these devout Jewish teachers who came to Galatia. They took great pride in the fact that they had Abraham as their father. That was their pride, their badge of merit before God. And now Paul was telling them that they were descendants of Abraham, all right, but not through Isaac, not through trust in the promise. They were following in the path of the slave woman, Hagar, and her descendant, Ishmael. Can you imagine how that would have sounded to these Jewish false teachers? Can you imagine? But we must not lose Paul's key point. Religious observance, any religious observance, Jewish or Gentile, ancient or modern, Eastern or Western, any religion that skirts around or diminishes or tries to supplement the work of Jesus Christ can only produce slavery. That's Paul's point. He's worked hard, a lot of background, just to get to that point. It's the point Paul was making earlier when he, he, he showed that religion, like nothing else on earth, Religion without Christ, it can open up people's hearts and minds to, to all sorts of uh, earthly and demonic spiritual powers when Jesus Christ is left out of the picture. We studied these verses a couple Sundays ago. 
But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved. He keeps using that word to things that were by nature are not God's. But now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be, there it is, enslaved to them all over again? Point number three, now we're almost done. The heavenly Jerusalem and the life of freedom in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 26 to 31. But the Jerusalem above, not talking now about the Middle East, the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. So if she's free, she produces heirs, right? Like Sarah and Isaac. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, childless woman, Sarah, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, not yet, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, Paul's talking now to these Galatian Christians, Gentiles. You two brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. This is, it's still like that. It's still like that. There's not, a, there's not another religion on the planet whose leader has become a curse word. Have you ever thought of that? There is not another, thousands of religions, there is not another leader of any religious movement on the planet who has become a curse word, except people go, Jesus, you've heard him. See, your Bible talks about stuff like that. The child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. This hasn't gone away. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son will be the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of a free woman. Out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your pursuits, drive out any religion that leaves out Jesus. You can't mix these things. You can't combine these things. That's what he's saying. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So finally, now, Paul draws his closing contrast between earthly Jerusalem, the Judaizers, bound up in slavery, the law religion. He contrasts that with the heavenly Jerusalem, of which the Galatian believers were now a part, the people of God created by faith in Christ, the power of the Spirit. What is Paul thinking about with this Jerusalem above. This is really the only place where Paul uses that language. But the concept he does talk about in other places. Here's what he means by the Jerusalem above, okay? Colossians 3, 1 to 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, look. That's the Jerusalem above. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. It's about Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
This is not some passage about positive thinking. Try and think about lofty thoughts. Spiritual transformation is at stake here. Freedom and the birth of true spiritual life can only come from relying on the work of Christ crucified and risen and ascended. That's how it works. And so as he brings this Old Testament analogy to a close, he focuses on just one more thing that we should care about, freedom. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. This analogy that Paul draws, a slave can only produce slaves. The woman of promise, Sarah, produces children who are heirs. Freedom comes from the work of the Spirit in the heart, not the maintaining of the regulations of religion. Now consider freedom. Just stay with me for eight more minutes. Consider this application now about freedom. There are different kinds of freedom. Suppose I'm on my way to the airport to go skydiving. You can picture that, can't you? But en route, my car gets a flat. I can't get help quickly enough. I miss my appointment. I may have the ability to jump. I may have the desire to jump, but I don't have freedom of opportunity anymore, okay? Or suppose I get to the airport in time, get my parachute, tell the instructor I want to jump. He asks if I have the required training, some courses on how to do it. I have none, and he refuses to take me up in the plane. Now I have the opportunity. I got there on time. And I have the desire, what I lack is the ability. First, I lack the opportunity. Second time, I lack the ability. Now, finally, suppose I get to the airport on time for the appointment. I have the courses completed and passed. Up we go into the sky, but once in the air, I'm looking out the door, and I get this terrible fright. I see the tiny buildings and the trees below, and I'm just full of fear and panic, and I say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Now I have freedom of opportunity, freedom of ability, but not the most important freedom at all. of all. I don't have any freedom of desire. Inward bondage. Freedom. Apart from Christ... Any religious system will leave me lacking in all three of those types of freedom. I'm free to choose any religion I want, but only Christ can pardon my sin, and only the Holy Spirit can change the desires of my heart. I can't do that. And what we need is exactly what we are promised in Christ Jesus, in the inward work of the Spirit. Here's my closing text. God looks forward, speaks prophetically through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you, this is what I need. I will give you a new heart. I will, I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you 
a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. The Old Covenant's not going to do that for anybody. There's not a religion on earth that's going to do that for anybody. God has designed his promise so he provides. We trust the promise. We put faith, like Abraham and Sarah, we put faith in what God has promised. We look to what he has provided. That's what freedom in Jesus Christ means. It isn't the freedom of anarchy. It isn't the freedom of just doing whatever you want to do. It's the, it's the freedom to become what God wants you to be. It's, it's that process of having Galatians 4.19, Christ formed in you. Religion is a grueling task and a colossal bore without God's promised provision in Jesus Christ by his spirit. Do not settle for anything less than Christ in your heart by the power of the spirit. Because anywhere else, here's what you're going to find. Bondage. And everyone said, would you bow your heads just for a minute? Everyone's just praying. I just, my heart goes out to people that might be here. And God bless you. You had a sincere heart, but you had it in your head that if you could just adopt some kind of religion and get a list of rules and regulations and try and keep them, that you could kind of make yourself into a better person. And, and I pity you because, because it's not going to work. It's not going to work. God wants to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, and he wants to renew your heart and mind by his Holy Spirit working in you. And you're free to follow Christ. Religion can only bring bondage. We're all going to pray together. We do this quite a bit in our church. And by the way, if, if I sometimes forget to say, but if you're watching online, Jesus can come into your heart. We just want to help you make a good confession of faith in Jesus Christ. So we're all going to pray together. Just mean these words from your heart. Do it in a good voice, okay, everyone? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It has reached into my heart. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I ask you, Jesus, who died for my sins and rose from the grave to prove himself the only giver of eternal life. Come into my life, the very center of my life. Rule my thoughts change my desires, and as you give me strength, I will live my life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.